You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I was following him silently. He had to be silent or else he'd get caught. I had to be silent or else he'd know that we were watching him. So in a sense, I was performing counter-espionage. Astronomer turned spy hunter Clifford Stoll. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. While many people think we may be on the verge of a new Cold War, a cyber Cold War in which countries will use skilled hackers to break into the computer systems of other countries and wreak havoc there. Now, back in the 1980s, that concept was such a novelty that police and even intelligence agencies really didn't give it much thought. That is, until 1986, when a young astronomer at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory made a startling discovery. Cliff Stoll was a systems administrator, and he noticed an unusual pattern of activity in the lab's computer network. So Stoll embarked on a cyber game of cat and mouse and eventually traced the activity back to a KGB recruit in Germany named Marcus Hess. Now Stoll told this incredible story in his 1989 best-selling book, The Cuckoo's Egg. I talked with him when the book came out and again a year later when it was reissued. And so here now from 1990... Cliff Stoll. Now, when you were here a year ago, when we last talked, the the hardcover just came out, and it looked like it was going to do all right. It was it was you know it was it was selling okay, but it wasn't a bestseller at that point, as I recall. Then it got on your radio show, and people started <laughs> we people it, started yes. buying it. it it's, it's incredible. I I mean, I, I just kept watching this thing go up and up and up, and I'm thinking, my gosh. Really? Did it surprise you? It astonished me. Why would somebody buy a book by an astronomer about computers? And why would it be a bestseller? It, it, it was bizarre. And so I'm sitting here trying to figure out what do you do when you really would prefer that people, like, I mean, they don't have to buy the book. They can go to a library. And, and so, but instead, all these foolish people, instead of going to a library and getting the book there, they went out and bought, bought it. So I don't know. It, it, no, take that back. Apply the razor blade. Cut, cut that one out. Bill, don't let that get on the air. Or my publisher will hang me. Um, what did I feel? It was it was weird. I didn't think. I didn't. I thought that it would appeal to computer people, not to regular people. And instead, regular people kept buying it and sending me letters about this, that, and the other thing. It was, it was weird. Very strange. You you wake up one morning and say, I never wanted to be a writer, but somehow I is one. <laughs> Bizarreness. For those who maybe, for the five or six people who may be listening who are unfamiliar with the story, it begins where and how. It begins in Berkeley, California, but really it begins in Hanover, Germany. But really it begins inside my computer in, in Berkeley where some hacker breaks in and starts stealing secrets out of it. But that's, but that's why it begins in Hanover, because there's this guy in Germany who's stealing American military secrets by way of the computer networks. And so it begins in Hanover, but really it doesn't begin in either of those places. It begins in Berlin where there's this guy named Serge who's working at the KGB, paying off some computer hackers to break into these military computers and steal information. So that's kind of where it begins, but I'm not sure if whether all this is a beginning or an ending. It's sort of maybe, maybe where it really begins is... Let's begin where you came in. I, I, I came in in Berkeley where, where, there was, where I was an astronomer, and I walked downstairs to the computer center and started working there, and after two days we noticed this real little imbalance in our computer. Our computer was showing like 75 cent mistake, 
I'm scratching my head, wondering, thinking about it, and look at it. It turns out that the mistake is caused by somebody sneaking in and using our computer without our permission. And this is weird, so I start looking at it, start figuring out who's responsible. Where's all of... Where's this money going to? Mm-hmm. How can somebody break into my computer, and where are they coming from? That's such so, an odd little amount. Yeah, it was somebody had used like about a couple minutes of computer time on my computer and used it to break into my system, but they shouldn't have. So I started researching it and trying to figure out who is it, where are they coming from, what are they doing it for, and why. Why would somebody want to break into my astronomy computer? Then I started putting things together and finding that, oh, they're not interested in me. They're interested in using our computer to get to a military system to read information about American military secrets and copy it all back through my system into their computer in Germany. And it was weird to trace this. It was weird to see how you break into computers. It was weird to see someone methodically just prowling through the computer networks stealing things, just copying them, not not wrecking anything, just stealing the stuff, copying it all back to where he lives in Germany. And a year or two later, finding out this guy's not just stealing information. He's selling it to the Soviet KGB. He's selling it, he's selling it to a bunch of spies. This guy is a spy. He's, and I'm watching him. I'm just watching over the spy, watching over his shoulder, day after day, week after week watching the spy just snitch things and pass it along. Do you have to think like a hacker to catch a hacker? I mean, the regi- yeah, I had to think. I had to technically understand what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, had to, you, you had to know what he was trying to do so you could watch him doing it. I had to know the pathways that he would take, which meant tracing them. I had to find out what techniques he'd use to break in. But in a sense, I had to think in the opposite he would think of ways to break into computers. I'd have to figure out ways to protect our computer. He'd think of new connections to make. I'd figure out ways to trace those connections. He would think of ways to sell his information to the KGB. I had to arm twist the CIA and the FBI to do something against him. So in a sense, we had to think in the same direction, but in another sense, we had to think in opposite directions. I was following him silently. He had to be silent or else he'd get caught. I had to be silent or else he'd know that we were watching him. So in a sense, he, I was performing counter-espionage <laughs> as an astronomer. <laughs> Weirdness. <laughs> but now, see, here's where I think this is where the whole... This is, this is why the book was a bestseller. is because there is a natural, built-in mystery. I mean, you... It's like watching a thief in your house. You're trying to figure out what's he going to take, why is he here, why isn't he breaking anything or ruining anything, what, where is he going with all this stuff from your house. Yeah. There's a mystery. And then there, but there's, there's also the, the, the almost, almost the comic part. You know, I, I, I can picture you setting out 50 printers or however many you set out that one night to try to record all the keystrokes that this man was, or yeah. this, whoever it was was using. There's there's all sorts of elements. There's there's the, the detective part, uh, the dropping of the clues here and there. It was sort of sort of trying to write a mystery story, 
but also trying to tell just what happened. What happened during this year of how do you, how do you follow somebody around? How do you do research in something as bizarre as catching a spy? How do you how would an astronomer follow an espionage problem around? And this is what the book is. But you didn't know at the outset, obviously, that they were spies. Oh, hell no. I figured at the beginning, you know, this... A hacker from Walla Walla? Yeah, some, some, some kid down on campus. And <laughs> in the middle of the night, next time he's on, knock on his door and, and catch the guy. And the guy would be amazed and we'd, we'd sit down and have a Coke together. And, and But I, the, at the beginning, I feel it's not important. It's going to be something trivial that, that I can find. The weird one was, you know, with each step, I find he's further and further away. He's not in Berkeley. He's in California somewhere. He's not in California. He's someplace in the East Coast. No, he's further than the East Coast. He's someplace in Europe. Then he's in Germany. Then he... Weird stuff. And it was... How do, you, how do you catch somebody? How do you follow somebody around? How do you take a thread that finds its way, like, oh, all around the globe? How do you tweak one end and follow it all the way back to the other end? How can you, not just how can you break into a computer, but how can you find out who's breaking in? And so that the book became a bestseller, writing about this means that must be other people worrying about the same thing, I guess. After this short break, Clifford Stoll takes me to task. back to my 1990 conversation with Cliff Stoll. You know, whenever you do something electronically, you always wonder, well, who else could see this? Who else, who else could be looking at what I'm typing right now? Yeah, who's watching over my shoulder? Uh-huh. Who's, who's there? Who knows that I'm signed on? Who knows what my password is? And who knows what's in my electronic mail? How can I mail? protect it? Exactly. And, and what, what happens over the computer networks? See, it, actually... Over the computer networks, one thing I've learned is it's a whole community of people working together, working against each other, sort of neighborhoods of people using bulletin boards, using community mailboxes, sending mail to each other. And it was this neighborhood, it was this sense of community that this hacker, by stealing information, this community was being violated by this hacker. One of the things I learned in in catching the guy was... We need a sense of commonwealth ethics. We need a sense of, hey, this is a good thing to do. It's good to send electronic mail from one person to another. But it's a bad thing to read somebody else's electronic mail. We lack that. We're missing a sense of what is right and what's wrong over computers, over computer networks. We have a sense of, oh, you know, you shouldn't really be reading somebody else's mail, but what if it's a government file that you stumble across? What if it's some secret Air Force document is it okay to just prowl around and read that? So here's a hacker who managed to get into these Air Force computers, managed to get into all sorts of military systems, took whatever he could get, and sold it at retail to the Soviet KGB. Just just, just violating all these sense, this common sense of, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. When you found the other end of the thread... Who was, who was standing at the other end of the thread holding on to it? A guy named Marcus Hess, a 26-year-old computer programmer. At the far end was just collecting information, getting whatever he could, and then selling it to a guy named Serge in, in 
Berlin, a guy named Serge who had a, uh, oh, was supported by a three-letter organization from the Soviet Union. You've got to admire these guys on one level, don't you? I mean, it takes incredible ingenuity and resourcefulness. Ingenuity to break into my computer? Ingenuity to, to, to sort of like a burglar who breaks into my house? Do I admire him? Do I admire the guy who, 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 who throws a rock through my window, crawls and steals my hi-fi and walks out with it? Do I admire that guy? because he's ingenious enough to realize that my window can be broken. Here's, here's, here's a guy in, in Hanover, Germany, who has the idea that all he has to do is, is guess my password or sneak in through a hole in my operating system, steal information, and, and sell it to the Soviets. Admire him for his ingenuity in, in realizing that, that if you break into somebody's system that you're, you can make money off of it? Admire him? No, 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 not his purpose, but, you know... Let's face it, a chimpanzee can throw a rock through a window and crawl through the window and steal yeah. something. Yeah. But it takes a particular specialized kind of knowledge and, and resourcefulness. To f- yeah, I, could, yeah, not, yeah, you need, you I need... could not sit down my home computer, for example. I, c- I can sit down and run my word processing yeah. program, but if I decided to hook up my modem and try to break into a computer, I wouldn't have any idea where to yeah, begin. Yeah, you could. You just turn to, turn to the back page of the cuckoo's egg and it gives you instructions on how to break into computers. I mean, I just write, wrote down what he did. The, the, the important thing is that there are technically competent people, people who know how to deal with computers, who are, how should you say, morally bankrupt, whose ethics are that of, oh, yeah, pay me money and I'll do it. And what we don't realize is that, yeah, you can break into a computer and steal information. It's possible to do. But is that admirable? Should you say, hey, hot damn, that's great, you did it, oh, that's really super. Or should you really say, oh, you broke into a computer. What's the difference between that and rifling somebody's desk drawers at work? What's the difference between that and walking into your neighbor's house, reading information on their living room table, and then using it against them some other time? Not a hell of a lot of difference. I admire... Technically, do I admire these people for sneaking into these military systems? Well, yeah, I learned a lot of technical things. Do I admire them for it? No, I, I admire people who, who have done neat, whoopee, fantastic, whoopee, uh, snazzy things like creating a new word processor, an editor, or a piece of software that, that does image processing. I mean, that, that's really neat to, to, for somebody to break into a computer and, and, and mess it up. No, no, no. That's admirable? No. Point well taken. I have many millions of things left to ask, but I'm out of time. What? Turn, turn the clock back. <laughs> you know. It's a digital clock. I can't turn it back. Ask me about the three things that I learned that has nothing to do with the clock. Has nothing to do with the book either. What, what are the three things you learned? Turns out there's three things in the universe that everybody wants. And, and, and everybody needs these three things. And you've got to have them, and they're important, and they're essential. And... You can never have all three things. And everybody wants them, but you can never have all three. You can have two out of the three. You can have zero. Some people go for a while without any of the three things. But whenever you think, whenever you think you've got all three at the same time, you're deluding yourself. It's a metastable state. I, I, I'm hoping you're going to list the three. Oh, oh, you know them, I know them. They're, 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 um, the three things that you can never have at the same time are, at the same time you can never have a great job, a terrific place to live, and a wonderful relationship. You can never have all three at the same time, right? 
I'd find people who would it's argue with that. It's metastable. When you have all three at the same time, something's going to collapse. <laughs> Whenever you have the, all three at the same time, you're just about to be kicked out of your apartment. Or, or, <laughs> or, or your company's about to go belly up. Or it's something worse. Like, no kidding, I've learned that, and, and that's a secret truth that's written on the side of one of the pages of the cuckoo's egg. And I didn't realize that it was there when I wrote it, but, but when I applied a microscope to one of the microdots at the end of one of the chapters at a period in the middle of the microdot, it's there. <laughs> I didn't realize it was there until I looked. Cliff Stoll will be 72 in June. And you can find easy Amazon links to Cliff Stoll's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my 1988 interview with the daughter of a real-life U.S. spy, John Walker Jr.'s daughter, Laura Walker. I think that most people believe that my dad was just sort of a mousy kind of guy who thought he was a James Bond, and he was extremely intelligent, and he, and he could pull off the James Bond because he just seemed to have that ability. He was a pretty evil man. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the talented comedian and actress and singer whose own career was largely overshadowed by who she was married to. She was married to Ernie Kovacs. My 1990 conversation with actress Edie Adams. He was a big, big kid, and I grew up old in Pennsylvania. When I met him, he taught me how to be a kid. Life was just one big toy. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.